Welcome to the Black Life Union podcast. This is Landon here with August, your hosts. Thanks for being here with us today. We're going to talk about uh, we're just going to continue on from next from last week, and we're going to talk about the uh, protests we went to after the first, as well as the um, moving into Chopped or some known some know it as Chaz, uh, the Capitol Hill occupied protest or the Capitol Hill what was the AZ standing autonomous for? zone autonomous zone that is what it is so the notorious t- Chaz the notorious Chaz in <laughs> Seattle Washington we love that right how you doing August <sighs> I'm doing pretty good how are you I am so good so glad to be here yeah with our people that have list that listen I know. We got quite a few listens. I'm excited. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, going into the next protest, I got to see some sides of some friends, <coughs> August, <laughs> that uh, I had not seen before, <laughs> and that was wild. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so that second protest we went to, I got pretty fired up. Um I think it was just because, honestly, what I experienced at the last protest, like I said, I talked a little bit about how it was, like, unlike any other protest I had been to, so I was just ready for anything, um, and I was aggressive with capital A. Aggressive. Yes. Yeah, y'all, she was out here yelling at the police. Calling them all out their name. Calling them out. I mean, goodness gracious. She was scary, to say the least. Well, okay, Um, listen. It's not like it was... The The second cop was not uncalled for in any sense because he deserved it. Um, The second cop that I called out was... So what I was doing is I was calling calling out cops specifically who had their badges covered because it's like a trend going around that cops will cover their badges and say that it's a mourning band um for their uh lost officers but um not at the time though at the time it was to show to say uh because they didn't okay so in the beginning we showed up at the protest we get out of the car, we find a parking garage, we get out, we start gearing up, you know, get, making sure all the spray bottles have all the correct solutions in, or the correct solution in them, uh, and, you know, have the uh, right mixture of water and baking soda. Um, everyone has their gear, their backpack, their black clothing on. Your facial recognition turned off, your GPS turned off. They did that. I was like, I need to know where my car's at. <laughs> <laughs> so I had it on. But, um... You would have given us all away, damn. Huh? You would have given us all away. We are right here. Uh, but no, we were out there, we got, we got, you know, we got geared up and everything, made sure we had our face masks on because COVID is real, uh, and we kind of just moved on from there. Moving down to the protest, it had already begun, so there was a, um, we were walking towards the, uh, what's the, Cal Anderson Park, uh, where there was pretty much a standstill, there was a bunch of protesters um a couple thousand at least 
and in front of us, and there's footage on my phone I can probably post into the Black Life Union page if you guys want to check it out. Yeah, we both have live streams of both of these first two protests that we went to. Yeah, yeah, um, and people, and so there was us, a line of us, and there was a line of them, a line of the po- uh, the police. Uh, police. <laughs> There's more SWAT, than a line. Yeah, um, National Guard, all that. There was, uh, I'd say, a, yeah, several. There was a small militia of them. And so we were kind of just, you know, everybody's posted up, we're, we're standing, we're yelling, we're chanting, we're kind of getting our word across. Um, so uh, hindsight, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. The reason they were holding us off, we were trying to, we wanted to be able to march up the street. We wanted to be able to march past the East Precinct in Seattle, Washington, um, and they, the police would not let us by. The reason behind that is because when protests have happened in the past at Seattle, or in Seattle, Washington, the East Precinct has a history of being burned down. Go figure. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they were afraid that that would happen again. And so they would not let us walk past. And we just wanted to march. We wanted to protest. This wasn't about rioting. It wasn't about looting. It was not about burning the building down. We wanted to be able to protest in front of the building because that's historical. That's important. You know, you want to be able to protest at the precinct, at the police, uh, at the, you know, the police department, at the station, right? So they wouldn't let us by. That protest was on on for about three days, specifically in that location. Uh, while we were there, though, uh, you know, we're walking to Kyle Anderson, we see the crowd of people, and we slowly made our way to the front, um, naming off some things that transpired throughout the time that we stood there, chanting and whatnot. Um, like Alec, uh, <laughs> Like August said, sorry. Uh, we did have some live streams going and whatnot. Um, and so a lot of the badges were covered. Uh, and the reason that they had been given an order to cover badges uh, when people asked the governor why, her reasoning was because she wanted to make sure that our protest wasn't um, being broadcast in a way we didn't want it to be, which is a, that's a load of bullshit. Like, they just wanted to, a reason to cover their badges because that gives police the right to do what they will with the power that they have. Without, um, without any accountability. Yeah. That little shred of accountability they have, that badge number. Right. We can't, can't do that. Right. Yeah. It identifies who they are. So there's no identification. Uh, obviously, they have masks on. They have uh, riot gear on, things like that. Many of them didn't at first, but as the night went on, you know, uh, as um, shifts would rotate and things that the evening, as the evening went on, shifts would rotate. Some would come out, they would have the, uh, you know, rubber bullet guns on them. They had the batons on them, those long wooden staffs they use, things like that. August did not take too kindly to seeing that the badges were covered. None of us did, but August specifically. And so she was uh, doing her thing. Yeah, so there was this one gentleman police officer who had his badge covered and he um I don't know I don't know why I chose him he kept smiling at me and he looked kind of unprofessional to me so I fixated on him and um you know we um Yeah, he was he was trying really hard not to react to the things that we were yelling cuz some of we were of course when we're there protesting we're yelling chants and stuff but we're also yelling things like statistics 
particularly that there's a um, 40% spousal abuse rate reported in police officer families. Um, and police officers don't really take kindly to that, <laughs> that uh, statistic. So he was kind of making faces at that. And me and this other protester were kind of bouncing off of each other. And she's like, well, I, I pointed out that he um, had his badge covered, but not his name. And it just said, oh gosh, I can't even remember his last name now. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> she remembered it at the time though. I she did. did find him Yeah. online. I found him online, and I found out that in the previous year, he was put on administrative leave for um, shooting a suicidal citizen who was, they were called for a mental health crisis, and him and two other officers were put on administrative leave for shooting that man. Um, I don't believe the man died, but he was shot and taken to the hospital. Um so we simply broadcasted that fact and then all hell broke loose people (laughs) were essentially uh when the officers were a lot of the protesters were targeting a lot of the officers specifically you know so a lot of the yelling would be directed at one and then they would kind of break down it was it may have been a little aggressive and whatnot but it is you know we were protesting and i guess specifically against police at that time as we always are but in that moment you know we had a line of militia in front of us and they were um not um readily hostile but ready to be hostile right so i don't know what a lot of you have seen from a lot of our viewers have seen from you know news stations and articles and things like that but a lot of the protests have been portrayed even the ones that are not violent have been portrayed as ones that are violent that was a huge case here in seattle Mm -hmm. and so the cabinets was a huge thing for me at that protest yeah yeah there was a lot of animosity that's been built up uh when she refers to cabinets some body once told me the world is kind of no i'm just kidding uh someone had brought a broken down cap some broken down cabinetry and from the back of the protest so wherever that crowd began and they were moved up to the front the doors um and we moved them up to the front to be able to use as shields in case they began to at some time at some point during the protest shoot over bullets at us yeah, so they're in the front line of a protest, there's generally like a um, a standalone fence type thing, and we were pushing them, we were pre- uh, placing them up against that fence to protect our legs specifically. So it's not like we were even holding them up, not that I don't even see what that would be an issue, holding up cabinets, really, cabinets. You guys have guns. You have rubber bullet, like, machinery that you're holding. Um... And it was funny because, oh, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just so excited to talk about Officer Marvin. He was my favorite. Yeah, you remember that name. I remember that name. Um, So, yeah, not getting ahead of ourselves. We did have umbrellas as well. So these are the things you're going to want in the front line of a protest. If you're at a standstill like that with a bunch of officers or National Guard in front of you, you're going to want gas masks or some sort of mask to protect your face. You're going to want glasses, some goggles. No, somewhat goggles and things like that, uh, somewhat for uh, protection of identity, but mostly in case of, you know, you don't you want to protect yourself. You don't want to be pepper sprayed. You don't want to be shot in the face. You want to have something there. You want to keep your eyesight at the end of the day. Right. 
Um, so we did have umbrellas and things like that in the front line. But people bring umbrellas, you can bring your own, things like that. Some were donated um, just so that we can be able to protect ourselves. Uh, that's what the, so the umbrellas specifically are for, you know, things like pepper spray and whatnot. Um, we say rubber bullets here in this podcast. We don't say um, non-lethal because it's not non-lethal. People have died from being shot by rubber bullets in the face. Skulls have been cracked open even if they didn't die. Um, rubber bullets are dangerous. They can be. They're very large. They travel at a very high speed. Um, they're rubber-coated steel is yeah, what they are. Exactly. They're not fully rubber either. Right. And the way right. they're meant to bounce off the ground and hit in the leg area, which is not how police officers use them. Right, right. They do direct hit uh, to the face and things like that. Um, so that can be dangerous, right? So we do have those. We brought out those cabinet doors and placed them in the front, uh, but at the, on the ground um, so that we could uh, protect ourselves. Um, because we weren't being violent. We just didn't know if they were going to pop off like they have in the past at, uh, at different protests. But they have consistently. Consistently. It's been a, it's been, it will be dumb for us not to take the things they've done in the past and learn from them. So we decided to you know protect ourselves. Absolutely. And um, at least while we were there, things didn't get violent, but they did take the cabinet doors as an act of aggression and were beginning to bring out more. uh, They called in for backup from more National Guard. Right, essentially. Um, And that backup did show up um, a few minutes later, probably. I think they showed up like 10 minutes later. Um, So yeah, even just having those cabinet doors, like I said, like below our waist, even just sitting on the ground was considered an act of aggression. Um, That particularly triggered me. Yeah. That was not cool in my book. Because when the people can't even defend themselves, like, how do you even pretend that that's not like fascism? When we have the right to assemble, we have the right to protest in our constitution and the fact that they have consistently used brutality and force against that and then for us to go in and protect ourselves and them to say that that's an act of aggression just like I don't know it's crazy yeah and I think it's important to note as well that that we weren't, they have their own fence already posted up. And also at the time, you know, we learned hindsight why they were standing there. But at the time, they did not disclose that information. They didn't disclose why things were fenced in. There's uh, no communication. There's, there's no communication. verbal warnings. Nothing. They just uh, act in their own way. They don't tell us why they're doing certain things. Uh, because honestly, I think the whole, I think a lot of things that happened uh, after that could have been avoided. Absolutely. Had there been communication from the other side any communication uh, somewhat at all um they did uh this was the third day of protesting um in seattle after the last the one from last week that we discussed um the one from last week we discussed was day one we didn't go on day two we went on day three this is day three that we're discussing now um and so on day three they did briefly get rid of the curfew we were there past certain time Mm -hmm. the curfew had been lifted we thought everything was okay um eventually over time you know there was the whole yelling at certain cops cops breaking down feeling bad leaving being replaced by new ones um being replaced by fake cops yeah yeah people that volunteer to be cops things like that 
Uh, those kind of things you can tell, especially when they don't have gear that fits their body. Um, Officer Marvin. Like Officer Marvin, which I will let August go into. Okay. Officer Marvin. So I had... Um, we had gotten one officer to be relieved of duty. Um, and, of course, another officer has to take that spot. So the person who took the spot of a certain officer was someone who's clearly not a legitimate police officer. Um, they, I've heard the term quasi-cop thrown around, and that's essentially what he was. He was not a police officer. He was someone, he, he was a citizen who had, uh, you know, some kind of security experience, training, whatever, and volunteered to be a riot cop, basically, and they gave him a gun and um, a half-assed uniform and threw him on the front lines, which if that doesn't enrage you, I don't know what would because like what you're just grabbing people who volunteer to just be riot cops do you think anyone who just volunteers to be a riot cop is like mentally sound um anyways so up comes officer marvin and he's got just this terrible not fitting uniform on and duct tape orange duct tape across his chest that says i'm officer marvin with a big smiley face drawn on it and I was already doing my thing. I was, like, well into my groove. I've already had, like, uh, one officer removed. I've had other officers moved around and stuff. Like, I was well into it. And up comes Officer Marvin with a big smile on his face. And, uh... Can I interject really quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So, and what she means by having officers removed, obviously, August here is not a cop. She is not a, a you know, an official. But what, that, what she means by that is essentially, you know, after some uh, individuals go through a certain amount of beratement you can tell uh, that they are kind of breaking down you know because from our point of view from our point of view some of our listeners may or may not agree um, but we believe that they're on the wrong side of history so when they're being berated from the other side saying you're we're you know saying hey you're on the wrong side what are you doing especially cops that are happen to be african-american things like that um, that can be a heavy it can be an emotional moment you Mm -hmm. know it can be something that maybe they have to come to terms with or decisions they have to make. Um, and so you can actually, you can see that, you know, the, I don't know if any of our listeners have been out of the protests. I'm, I'm assuming you have, or have maybe been on one side or the other of the line, but you can see the police, you know, they're not, they don't speak to us. They don't speak to you typically, um, but they do, they're still human at the end of the day. And so they have facial expression. They do cry. They do things uh, that you don't expect or you or you hope for things like that right um, and so in that aspect they are um, and this is all based on assumption we can only assume that when uh, is what seems like a superior officer comes up and speaks to you and you're replaced that you were relieved of duty from that moment uh, not necessarily saying they were fired but yeah, you were you were moved from <clears throat> from the front lines so you can go ahead Okay, so um, after that happened, uh, Officer Marvin comes, and so, like I said, I was already well into my thing and going on, so, and I was kind of just announcing things as they were happening and as they were occurring to me, so I was like, oh, we have this fake-ass looking cop here with a big-ass baton and a gun, and uh, of course they can hear me, I'm, I'm not that far away from him. And I'm shouting very loudly. Um, 
And so then I, again, I brought up the 40% uh, reported spousal abusal rate. And that's when Officer Marvin, not five minutes after stepping onto the front lines, decides to reach for his gun. And in that moment, (laughs) I had so much adrenaline and so much just disbelief and anger. And I was like, oh, does that make you mad? Officer Marvin, are you going to shoot me, Officer Marvin? And uh, yeah, he had his hand on his gun and he was looking at me. And then, um, and you know, like I said, like everyone can hear me. Okay, so like superior officers can also hear me and they know what's happening. And of course, I've announced to everyone because I don't want anyone to be caught off guard by the fact that he has his hand on his gun. You know, I'm with a sea of other protesters. Um, so of course that's something that I'm going to literally scream as this dude's got his hand on his gun. And, um, so another superior officer came up and told him, I don't know what he told him, but he moved his hand off his gun real quick when a superior officer came up and whispered in his ear. Um, and that's just the, that's just the problem. If you can't, um, you know, five minutes on the front lines and you're already reaching for your weapon at clearly, I mean, you may say that the um dialogue wasn't peaceful but physically everything is peaceful we're standing there we're yelling nobody's nobody was pushing nobody's you know there was nothing being thrown at cops um at this point or anything so nothing like that was going on so if you can't even just take any any kind of verbal um you know dialogue then you you shouldn't be on the front lines in my opinion and so here they have this inexperienced, this volunteer, basically, on the front lines who really can just decide the fate of that entire night. Had he, pu- had he pulled his weapon out and, you know, shot at me or anyone else, you know, that, that night would have ended very differently and that wouldn't have been good for anyone. And like I said, this is five minutes after he came up on into the front, um, the front lines, so... Um, that got me really riled up, and I don't even remember how long Officer Marvin was on those front lines, but it was not for the rest of the night, I can tell you that. It wasn't for his whole shift, I can tell you that. Um, and he was also eventually removed for being, I'm assuming, for being too reactive and uh, not being able to control his face or apparently his hands. Yeah. Um, things were for the most part, the same throughout that moment. So we were kind of out there. That was the, you know, everybody's chatting, everybody's yelling, everybody's kind of just like being there, protesting, right? I know, I mean, doesn't <laughs> protesting doesn't always, does not always, I want to say movement, not physically, I mean, but like it can be, it can stay pretty stagnant. Uh, from the outsider looking in for a long period of time before something happens. Yeah. Uh, we were there, like I said, we have a solution and things like that. We were able to help out some people uh, at the last, the first uh, round of protests uh, a couple of days prior to this. Um, but uh, after we were there for what, about five, six hours, five and a half hours, we kind of decided, okay, it seems like, and it was pretty late, getting lit pretty late in the, uh, in the night. We decided things were gonna be calm. The curfew has been lifted. And so we're going to go, uh, we said bye to the people that we had there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we kind of, we started heading back to our vehicle about 10 minutes in the car. 
on the way back home, <laughs> curfew's reenacted. And again for time, again for 5 o'clock, but at this point, it's like 9 p.m. So, obviously there's no time for people to not be out after curfew. Yeah. Um, and so... Again, these retroactive curfews... This is now, that was now the second time they had put a retroactive curfew in. Right. So, uh, which is just like, from our point of view, it kind of just says you're not enacting a curfew so that people will go home. You're enacting a curfew so you can in- inflict whatever kind of punishment or whatever you force. think the force, whatever the protesters deserve. Um, and that, I think that's a huge issue. That definitely like led a lot uh, or sparked a lot of fire in the hearts of the people that were out there, the protesters, just because it kind of shone a light on what the agenda really was. Um, and so we, you know, on the way home and whatnot, we still had some friends that were out there and whatnot. So they kind of informed us what was going on, making we made sure they were safe and whatnot. And everyone got home safely. One of our sh- one of our friends did get hit in the leg with a rubber bullet. Um, Which she still has a bruise from. Yeah, It's this still was, healing. Yeah, this was some time ago. Um, so they the very did. beginning of June. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that that's the way that things were. It was crazy to think that's the way that things were turning. Um, again, so some of this information I've got, we know we've come across after the fact and we're able to piece together because of information gathered from other people, from other leaders and, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter organization and the movement and things like that. Um, so essentially what happened is after everything kind of dispersed, some people decided they were not going to leave. And uh, essentially someone just said, if you don't move, we're going to burn down the East Precinct. Um, because that was not initially what the plan was. The, everyone just wanted to march and protest by Um, Upon hearing that, uh, an order was placed for the National Guard and the police to pull out. uh, And they didn't just pull out from the area. They left the precinct all together. They abandoned that shit. They abandoned that shit. And that is... Yeet. They were gone. Uh, And that... And then protesters occupied the area. That was the beginning of CHOP. That was how everything started. It was not their intention of the uh, leaders of that protest or of those uh, few days of protests to occupy the area, but it is something that happened, and I think it made a huge impact um, in what we have today, you know? so I think that's, yeah, like a huge reason why CHOP or Chaz was so powerful was because it happened organically, and, you know, we, we held that front line for a long time until they uh until they abandoned it and then we took it and we were like we are going to protest here this was what we wanted to do um and so that was how yeah the eastern precinct was given up and then from there the eastern precinct became a symbol really um and the people took it over and for a long period of time after that it was the people's precinct, or the, yeah, the police, the people's department, that's what it is. Um, they spray painted over the sign where it says police and put people, and um, 
that front part was an area for speakers to uh, have a platform and artists to have a platform. And then if you went around the corner to the other side of the precinct, it was a memorial for um, mainly for all the people that Seattle PD had murdered, but as well um, across the country. And it was really beautiful. And I remember like looking at the Eastern Precinct, like it's just burned in my memory. So like such a moment to look at it. Yeah, no, it was, hmm. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So uh, the first day we went out there, CHOP was very new. Uh, it, was in the fir- it was within the first week. Uh, in total, we were out there for about a month, uh, almost a month and a half or give or take. Um, that we were able to hold that until eventually, you know, chop diffused into what, uh, back into the standard capital area. But what chop was essentially, it was supposed to be, it's a symbol. It was showing, and this took time for even for me to understand. It was a symbol of what an area can look like when it's not manned by the police. Uh, specifically because a lot of that area, Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill in general has never been a very nonviolent area. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of crime in, the, in there. Um, but the police, or sorry, not the police, the people are afraid of the police as well. Uh, next to the East Precinct, there is a hotel, not a hotel, an apartment building. I am messing up over here. <laughs> uh, there is an apartment building and they, it's like they share a wall with the East Precinct. And a lot of the residents there have voice that they don't feel comfortable with that because of uh, situations that have happened in the past you know in the past they've been the um, apartments have been tear gassed and they've been told sorry it was just collateral damage and people don't want to hear that in their homes you know people don't want to have to feel like oh this might happen again I'm, I mm-hmm. might be tear gassed in my home I'm just trying to sit here and watch TV I'm sitting here doing whatever I'm doing um, and collateral is bullshit yeah collateral damage should not be a thing it, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't have happened. Um, and so because of that, there was a lot of animosity towards the East Precinct anyway, uh, which did help CHOP form. Uh, what it what CHOP was there for, just so everyone knows, uh, it was supposed to be an area, and it was an area to show that even without the police there, things can still run smoothly. Obviously, it happened organically. It wasn't planned, therefore it was not as organized as uh, the leaders of CHOP would have wanted it to be, but... Um, as far as crime, crime did go down. Whether or not uh, the you know media would like you to, would like the people to know that crime was lower in the area. There were a lot of things happening. There was there always there's always been a sort of gang violence in that area. There's always been uh, you know people, women and children being abducted and whatnot. Um, but Chop was an area for people to come that were you know maybe homeless or things like that um, that they could be within a certain area that had a certain level of security not armed like guns and things like that but just to be able to you know keep watch out for say again i said at certain points (laughs) at certain points um not armed but just for people to keep watch to make sure nothing was happening to anyone that was was within the occupied area um chopped was spanned about all of calla anderson park and a few square blocks of capitol hill 
uh, and the, there were barriers that were in place. And as August stated, there was a stage, there was a memorial that was set up against the East Precinct itself. It was so beautiful. Yeah, Just the, the whole area. Mm-hmm. There was the gardens that were amazing. So there was the gardens, and then there was the Black Healing Space, which was incredible. And then the decolonization classroom, which was also incredible. They had sign making. The businesses of Cal Anderson had uh, opened their businesses up to be sign making stations. Um, and they were working actively with the uh, activists who were running uh, CHOP. Um, and the gardens were such a symbol too because they were feeding the homeless people of that area they, now they had a place to go where they were there was food there was somewhat um there was uh, an amount of resources you know for them and during the pandemic too because resources for homeless people during the pandemic had been you know slashed and there's not um there's not um public restrooms that they can use there's less um amenities you know because they i mean because covid you have to keep clean and whatever and i understand that but for homeless people that just sucks they had nothing and so now there is this place where they they can be fed there's somewhat there's a level of security because there were uh assigned security personnel keeping eyes on things and uh whatnot and it was just really beautiful to see the community come together like that. And also the fact that it was organic and that it really showed that this can happen. And, you know, what if we took the time to plan it out? And like, what if we had organization before it happened? How incredible would that be? Because this lasted 30 days out of no planning, no organization, no forethought, really. And to be sustained for 30 days while under attack by, I mean, like, the media and you know there there was its fair share of incidents you know um Mm -hmm. it was crazy that it just it just shows what we what people can do yeah no it's um i mean yeah we were able to get large amounts of like funding donations being held there were stations for medical teams there were stations for uh, free food. I mean, and, and like full meals were being provided to everyone there that would that wanted some. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't cost you anything. You were just able to go up. You were able to get food. I mean, like pot roast things like that. Like <laughs> it was it was really cool. I was surprised when I showed up there. I got free um, headshots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she got pictures taken of her. I mean, it was cool. Uh, free clothing for people. I mean, it was a very organized space. Like she mentioned, the garden that was there. Um, there was just it was a community that wasn't manned by the police for a period of time where people were able to feel safe that don't usually have the luxury of feeling safe they were able to have clothing they were able to have food and things like that um we not went, only that but a community of, of healing and caring and yeah. support as well huh. sorry i just said that no 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 absolutely i mean you did mention the uh um, black healing space uh, for those of you who don't know yeah. uh, some protests and or, or or at periodic times at chop which was changed to chaz so we're going to say that you know at chaz uh, chop the title chop was capitol hill occupational protest it was changed to chaz no, it was chaz and it was changed to chop oh because they didn't like autonomous zone because so it was originally the autonomous zone i get that messed up a lot because it was an area that was autonomous it wasn't policed right and then they didn't like that because people were acting like it was coachella 
and people were coming there for kind of the wrong reasons. So then they changed it to the occupational protest to be more to the point. And this is an occupied zone. This is not the police's zone. We're occupying this, like occupied uh, Wall Street. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So, sorry to the y'all. I get those mixed up. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it was changed to CHOP. Um, so that, yeah, it was a little less aggressive. You know, when we say they didn't like it, yeah, some of the leaders, but a lot of the, uh, a lot of that was from, you know, the government, uh, because they did have negotiations going on during this time period. Yeah. You know, the, the governor was meeting with the leaders of CHOP and things like that. And so they were getting together, trying to negotiate. Obviously they wanted to get the precinct back, but we didn't want to give up the demands that we held, um, Namely, you know, some of them being that we wanted defunding of the police, that we wanted those funds allocated to the communities in the area and such and so on and so forth. You can definitely look them up. Uh, we won't go over, over all of them here just because I don't remember them all. I have uh, a picture of them, but I, my phone's recording this. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> they can look it up. But uh, I actually do have as well a live stream that I posted on my Facebook um, of me going through the entire occupational protest area uh so you were able to see from beginning to end every nook cranny and corner um of what it was really like i know a lot of news stations and things like that were posting it making it seem like things were on fire everybody was rioting things were just chaos and crazy well that simply was not the case everything was cool relaxed it was a community music playing yeah music playing stands were set up for black businesses and things like that or businesses just to donate towards black lives matter um, or back to the chop in general. Um, so that was uh, really, it was really cool. Um, and so on and so forth, things uh, changed and morphed and molded into uh, what I thought when I actually, so I actually showed up there one day and I showed up as the founder of Black Life Union. At the time, Black Life Union had not been founded. Um, and so I showed, and then and so, you know, amongst going to different protests and things like that, I realized a lot of these leaders have no organization. Everybody wants to help. Nobody knows what to do. And so I kind of took it upon myself to, and, you know, with the help of my friends, to create Black Life Union and say, hey, we're going to try and create some uniformity. So I go to, I, I showed up at CHOP at like 8 p.m., uh, with a couple other leaders, and to, to find out at the time, I did not know who the leaders were of CHOP, and just to be able to find them and things like that, and pretty much showed up and said, it once I finally met them, hey, this is who I am, this is what I represent, this is why I'm here, do you guys want to help? Because to me, things seemed disorganized, things seemed to become, uh, it wasn't, it didn't, CHOP didn't remain that music festival, not festival, but that area of healing and music and having speakers on a stage it didn't remain that it held that for maybe around two three weeks maybe at the most uh but it i personally thought at first you know to me the difference was i saw at at the beginning i didn't see people drinking smoking marijuana things like that Mm -hmm. there and as time went on people were doing in that area and so i saw that as this is a protest this isn't what we're supposed to be doing we're here to occupy this area. Yeah. Um, but over time, you know, among speaking with some of the leaders there, some people, some of the people that had helped, 
you know, organize, reorganize it and put it together and keep it going, I learned that it's not only that, but it's also a demonstration of what an area can be like without the police, without government, um, without governing from the nearby police stations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really cool. And upon learning that, I was able to see and open my eyes and understand that, wow, this is an area, this is something that is not done, at least not in today's age, not in 2020, where you can just kind of demonstrate and take hold of an area and say, this is what it's like when it's not governed by people it shouldn't be governed by. You know, people that shouldn't have the authority or power to tell us what we can or, or cannot do to a certain degree. People that don't have the power to come in and ruin our lives and kill us and things like that. Um, and so it was really cool. We were able to de-escalate a lot of situations that had happened. Um, yeah. yeah. The de-escalation was... Because that was the thing. We were, quote-unquote, policing ourselves, you know. There was, um, like I said, there were some appointed, like, security guards and stuff. But everyone's keeping an eye on everything, you know. Because there was this understanding that this is the occupied zone. And also the understanding, this unspoken understanding that, like, if this goes wrong... Being in Seattle, like, I feel like the eyes were on us because, like, everything had just happened in Minneapolis and everyone just watched Minneapolis burn. And then all of a sudden in Seattle, now we have, like, this whole area that, you know, the media is saying is, you know, lawless and we just took over this land and, like, it's just uh, crazy and stuff. So we had to, like, actually, there was a reputation. We had to say, you know, we can do this and we can have this land and work together and have this community without your whack-ass racist-ass police you know brutalizing us and harassing us we don't need that we can have a society where we progress we have progressed past that um and so there was this immense pressure to just not fuck it up you know so everyone was kind of watching it and you know there were instances of um yeah, this is at, at later in the protest, and later at uh, CHOP, but um, when, me, remember when we went um, with those two girls, I can't, Ken, McKenna? Kenna. And um, Kendra. Kendra. And sorry, Amanda? Kendra. Yes. Kendra, Amanda, and um, Zach. Zach, and we met another friend there as well. Um,. But we were listening to these this uh, this woman speak at you know the people's precinct and uh, these two guys who were just oh boy they're standing there they both had coffee cups that were clearly not holding coffee and their pupils were quite um, noticeable. So they're standing there and, you know, they're listening to this woman speak and she's talking about, she was real. it was really hurtful because she's talking about just the, the hurt that the police have done and, you know, people, the brutality that her brothers had faced and, you know, worrying about when her brothers don't come home on time, you know, if something's happened and it was just this, she's being so raw and so powerful and she was so young and she had so much to say and these two men just started saying no, 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 just really loud. So what, um, you know, another uh, guy who was up at the front with the speakers, he took the megaphone from the, the woman who was speaking and he was like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we need our white allies to um, 
isolate this man. We need to we need to circle him in. So what we did was all the white passing people and all the white people got in a circle and we just made a barrier between these men and um everyone else because you know we're not we're not about violence but we're also not gonna let you just you know be crazy i don't know yeah i just have the courtesy and respect to let people speak uh whether you're there for black lives matter or you or you believe in what we believe in and things like that. If you're going to, I, I believe everyone should go to the protest. Uh, even if you're not there to disrupt things, it's a place to learn. At least learn from the other side. Um, because you, I don't, I don't, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in you shouldn't have an argument or base an argument just based off your side alone. You should understand the other sides and their beliefs and the reason they do things just as well. So, um, they did end up. They did end up. Well, they didn't remove him. He left. Um, but so I was gonna get to into yeah. with Zach hmm? when Zach was talking to them. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we kind of like you know they they got really upset that all these white people had circled around them, and we were telling him you know you need to be quiet, you need to be respectful. You can be here, you just need to be quiet and respectful and let these people talk. Um, and they were upset by that, so we were kind of moving out towards the outer edge. And he starts yelling about, like, well, all you white people are mad at me. I haven't had one black per. I can't, I don't, haven't heard one black person talk. And then that's when, you know, Zach, my boyfriend, came up and he's like, well, that's because you're talking over all of them. You were just, you were just listening to a black person talk and you just started yelling no and talking over her. So you got removed. That's what happened. <laughs> and, um,. You know, someone ended up coming and telling him, like, you know, it's not worth it. They're not going to listen. First of all, they're on drugs, clearly. Um, and they're not going to listen. And then they ended up, you know, just removing themselves from that point. And that's how we handled things, you know. We just tell them that you have to be respectful if you're going to be here. And the situations tended to handle themselves. Yeah, there was a large... Um... No, I don't even know the large is the right word. There was some idea that if you didn't believe in Black Lives Matter or you had to be black to enter the uh, occupied protests and things like that, none of that was true. There were no barriers. There was no vetting process. You go in, you go out. People live there. We can't yeah. stop people from walking in just because you're not, you know. So we don't know who lives there or who doesn't. So like that wasn't that wasn't the situation at all. Um, so I don't know. I don't even know where. I'm mean, media. That's where those ideas came from. Fox News. Um, Fox News. Uh, can we say that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we, if they want to send us? me an email, they can send me an email. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that just wasn't the case. Anyone's, anyone was allowed, you know? Whether you believed in what we believed in or not, you could be there, just be respectful. And that's what we. That's what you would expect from us. That's what anyone would expect from anyone. That, that was is the whole the point of the, yeah. decolonization, the decolonization classroom. Was right. So that you could sit there. The decolonization classroom was crazy. At one point, they had, I don't even know, like a dozen sofas just in the middle of the street, all set up really nice. And you walk into this area, and there's all these sofas, and you just pick one to sit at. And then there's um, someone who is a volunteer, usually one or two people, they'd come and sit with you and they'd answer questions you had and have a conversation about colonization and, you know, what defunding the police means. And so there's this really, like, judgment-free zone where you could just learn, you know, just raw education. Yeah, no, it was... Everything about CHOP was really cool. Um, but, yeah, like I said before, you know, things kind of did start to change and so um that is when i 
personally thought that, you know, things were taking a turn until I was, you know, re-educated all over again, right? And so upon learning that, I kind of just, you know, held back and let things happen. I still think that there should have been a little more structure going on. Otherwise, you know, yeah. I, th- I think we, I think CHOP could still be going on today. Absolutely. Uh, but obviously it did, you know, fall apart with negotiations and things. Uh, I think a huge part was no one, because it did happen so organically, no one knew who, how to, how they wanted to lead. Or even the people that did lead, they didn't necessarily want to be there. Um, and that's just because, you know, it's it's hard being a leader and it's kind of scary, you know, knowing that people are looking to you for guidance and for what to do next, uh, for some sort of support and uh, motivation, things like that. So Especially totally. when you're leading an area that's occupied and not <laughs> you. Right, right, exactly. You know, it can be a pretty rough situation all the way around. Um, but yeah, things just kind of changed over time. And even in, even in situations, so when it comes to crime, right, um, there were a lot of abductions happening in the area in Capitol Hill before the chop started, um, specifically of homeless women. Um, a lot of them, a lot of that slowed down during CHOP because those homeless women were allowed to live within our, within the area, right? So they had protection. Uh, if you're homeless, you don't just have protection out on the street. The police aren't sitting there standing around your living area just there to say, hey, you know, we're going to sit here and watch you while you guys sleep, you know, to make sure you're okay. So or even, we, like, imagine, like, homeless people, like, screaming or something. Cop- that's not something cops are going to run to. They're going to assume the worst and assume that that's a crackhead screaming and not come to your aid. Right, right. So they don't have that help. Uh, but with us there, they did, so that was really cool. Um, there's a guy, I don't remember his name, um, or at least I won't divulge it, uh, but he has schizophrenia. He's common in the area. And multiple times he has been detained, been tackled, tased by the police uh, at the East Precinct when people have called, uh, you know, because he was having an episode or anything like that. Um, there have been multiple times where during chop work, he was having an episode and we were able to, or he just came by and he was like, hey guys, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I need a cigarette. Somebody that smoked was able to provide him with one, you know, give him something to eat, uh, you know, treat him like a normal human being that has normal human being problems. And he was able to remove, you know, he was like, hey, among him, he brought, he brought it upon himself to say, hey, I'm starting to feel myself get a little crazy. I'm going to leave here because I don't want to disrupt what's going on here. Um, so that was just a lot of really cool that was just a part of some of the really cool things that were going on there at CHOP. Um, of course, there were some uh, situations that happened where people did get shot, people did, someone did die um, in the in the Capitol Hill area, but that was not in the, the CHOP, like, that was not within the barriers, within the perimeter. That happens nearby, and so a lot of you might have heard that media say, might have heard from media that, um, oh, hey, there was a gunshot there, this needs to go down, things like that, but that was not within that zone. It was nearby the one, so that was easy for me to twist and say, this is happening because Chop is there. That boy that died, may he rest in peace, was that was a part of a gang violence. That had nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. That had nothing to do with the protests. That had nothing to do with us. Um, and so it's important that people realize that what we were doing worked, and it just wasn't being broadcast in a proper way. Um, and so, obviously, there, there are some, you know, proud boys who are a militia that believe in white power. Uh, they, as, at one point, they had to come through, uh, I think, one person, one more person got shot. Was it just one or two? I think it was 
think it was just one. I think it was just one. Uh, that one more person ended up getting shot, uh, and that was an attack directly on Black Lives Matter, but again, that wasn't because of us being there. That could have happened anywhere at any time. That was someone that, you know, felt like going out that day, and we just happened to all be in that area, but we were being peaceful, um, and the, it was being, the situation was being uh, dealt with. Actually, when that happened, we there were uh, there was a medic team that was a couple blocks up outside of the chop area, uh, and uh, someone I know actually rushed had, was in their vehicle. They heard about what happened. They rushed over to them and asked for help. They said somebody was shot, and the medic team said, "Hey, if we don't get a call, we're not going to come to the scene." Um, I don't know what their uh, protocol is for that situation, but there was somebody that needed help and they didn't come, and we can only assume it was because they were supporting Black Lives Matter, right? Because they were in the chop, um, which baffles me because it's only been about police. It's not against fire department. It's not against medics. It's not against EMTs. It's not against anything like that. It's about police brutality. Um, so my friend who had the car went back because they weren't going to get any help from the nearby EMTs, put the boy who was shot in her vehicle, took him to the hospital, and he ended up not making it uh, all the way. But uh, that's really sad. And so that was kind of a big turning point as well for CHOP. Um, so things kind of changed up from there. Negotiations started happening more often between the uh, leaders of CHOP and and the local government. Um, and eventually the local government, you know, they kept putting these deadlines saying, oh, you're going to come back. Oh, we're going to be there at this time the next day or this time the next day. And eventually they did come through and decide to, you know, to bring bulldoz bulldozers in and shut everything down. Yeah. Sure yeah. Did. So, I mean, August, what did that make you feel like when you heard that shop, shop was being shut down? It was really sad. Um, you know, I knew that it was going to happen because, um, I don't want to say that, because the movement itself wasn't losing steam, but um, more people, I mean, COVID is a thing and like more people were starting to go back to work and stuff. And so, because there was, we had a whole um, website where you could uh, on a, anonymously sign up for um, shifts at chat at top, um, so that we constantly occupied that zone, and we had a, a large number of bodies there. Um, but you know, as time goes on, that does slow down, and people have other obligations they have to do. So, um, in my mind, I kind of knew that. Uh, the police would try to at least try to take it back over sometime soon and they did and it was a really defeating kind of feeling I was I was sad but um, I also knew that it wasn't over and that we because uh, I mean there's still so many protests that happen at Cali Anderson you know mm -hmm. and that will forever be so historic and groundbreaking and just um you know, I'm really proud to have been a part of it and gotten to participate in it and experience it firsthand because that's something that, I mean, we can talk about it all we want on the podcast and we can show our live videos. Um, yeah, and um, it was just really a really important feeling, you know? And yeah, what? how did you feel when you found out that it was getting... Um, that kind it was, of broken down yeah. things, I thought. Um, for me personally, it was, it was, for me personally, it was expected. Um, 
because I had been there. So the reason I know a decent amount about what happened, I was there firsthand. Uh, they had asked me, obviously I was there as the founder of Black Life Union, uh, as I was there to help, help to organize, I thought, but I was <laughs> I was really there to learn. Um, yeah, but, I think everyone was. Yeah, at the end of the day, we were all really there to learn. It's, it's something that hasn't, been ha- it hasn't happened before that we're aware of, um, not to the scale that it happened there. Um, so, I kind of expected it. Like I said, I think that things should have been a little more organized. I think we shouldn't have allowed people to be drinking and smoking because you see one person doing that, you're going to want to do it too. And then it can divulge into what's kind of a party. Um, But I think we should have had a little more structure. But that can't be put on the leaders of CHOP because it was organic. It happened organically. It was not planned. It was not something that was expected to happen in the first place. Um, So it hurt. It was sad. Um, But we can do it again. It It was an amazing movement uh and it's not the end Uh, i'm a firm believer in the idea that the civil war never ended we've just been losing it and so it's been silent because why it's silence is violence at the end of the day um and so yeah hopefully we can make change more and more um which is what we're going to be talking about next week if you want to tune in to us uh is there anything else you wanted to say um, as far as about Chaz and Chop and all that. Yeah, anything at all. Any word for our listeners? Um, it was just, uh, I just, <laughs> Chop was an amazing experience. Like you said, it happened organically and yeah, we can do it again. And it was, uh, it was a very pivotal moment. And I think. Yeah, it segues really nicely into next week and how we can talk about the how the government system works and um, how we can kind of topple these things from the inside out yeah. not from the inside out. Yeah, I know. feel like people don't really understand. Uh, we won't go super in-depth because we're not, gonna, we're not out here trying to get everybody political degrees here because for some reason that's necessary to understand how American politics work. Uh, but we will go a little bit into, you know, how your vote can make a difference. Uh, and things like that and what you can do with our government how the system works so that we can start to make a real change here in this country um absolutely yeah so thank you again for tuning in this week at the black life union podcast with landon in august and yeah we'll hear we'll talk to you next week thanks bye guys and as always, you know, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything you'd like to say, feel free to reach out to us. We have an Instagram page. We have a Facebook page. Uh, and those are both Black Life Union. So that's B-L-A-C-K-L-I-F-E-U-N-I-O-N. Black Life Union. Reach out. Thanks.